when you are right about something, you know, like all the time, you're right about your opinions, you're right about how you think about other people, you, you're right when you're talking to someone, you're more right than the other person. And so when you're right about something, you know you're right. The Bible affirms that you are right, and your friends do too. I mean, that is the trifecta. You know you're right. The Bible knows you're right. Your friends know you're right. Here's the big question. How do you steward your knowledge? Now, maybe a good text that will help you is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. That entire passage, that chapter, there's 13 verses there, it is about Jewish believers who became Christians. Now they are Christian believers, and they were struggling over eating meat because they had been trained. Their consciences have been trained uh, that it would be sin for them to eat meat. So that is an illustration. Uh, Maybe you have other illustrations uh, about this in your own mind. And so you're right about something. You know you're right. The Bible knows that you're right. Your Your friends know that you are right. How do you steward that knowledge? Maybe another way that you can think about being right and other people being wrong and how you think about those other people. Have you ever been right in the past? You, you had a preference. You had a way of believing in the past, but now you believe differently. You were not right back then, but you thought that you were right back then. There is a danger in being dogmatic without grace. Omniscient people can become accidental Pharisees. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. You're welcome to read this podcast on our website. I've got more than 2,000 words for you, and I would love for you to read it, to print it, to write it all up, mark in the margins, share it with a friend, make it a small group discussion or a family topic. It would be fantastic. The title of the podcast and that article I'm referring to is... Comparing yourself may make you an accidental Pharisee. I did not come up with this term, accidental Pharisee, but I am a wordsmith. And when I hear a word or a collection of words or a certain linkage of words, it can trigger thoughts in my mind. And when it does, I have to sit down and and start musing on it. And the way that I do that is I, I write. And so I heard the term, Accidental Pharisee, is the title of a book. I haven't read the book, so I can't comment on that, but the book is by Larry Osborne, and there is a link to the book here in this article. If you want to read it, you can read it and tell me about it. But I uh, was just thinking about this idea. That is a great term, isn't it? Accidental Pharisee, meaning you didn't intentionally, willingly become one, uh, but you became blind to your biases. I have been blind to my biases many times, and it's so easy to do. So I don't want you to beat yourself up too much in this podcast, maybe just a little bit if it's necessary. I mean, the truth is, those of us who will hear what I'm saying probably don't need need it as much as those who really need it, that uh, the density factor is a little thicker and and they won't hear it. And so you hear what you need to hear and, and change and may the Spirit of God work in your heart. But there is a temptation within, within all of us to be blind 
to our biases, and, and we, we won't be over that until we are glorified. An accidental Pharisee is a person who does not intentionally seek to be one, but becomes one because of ignorance or maybe unhealthy shaping influences, people who, who can persuade and argue and, and lead them to that place of higher knowledge to where they subtly and maybe not so subtly start looking down on others. When you believe you are right and others are wrong and you will not entertain the possibility of another perspective, you may become an accidental Pharisee. Now, I am not saying that you can't know anything, but Christians should hold their views humbly while while addressing them or coming to those beliefs in this fourfold way. You affirm your beliefs by God's Word, God's Spirit, your conscience, and the community. And I've talked much about how to make a biblical decision throughout the history of this ministry. And so I'm not saying you can't know anything, but I am saying that we need to hold our views humbly, and the views that we have, we need to make sure we affirm them by God's Word by the Spirit of God, by our consciences, and by the community. Anybody who has ever been passionate about anything is susceptible to how their passion can get in the way of common sense and biblical appropriateness. Have you ever been excited about something, particularly something about God? Has something impacted you so much that you became consumed with the thing? I most certainly have. I mean, I'm passionate now. I've been passionate since God regenerated me. Shoot, I was passionate before God regenerated me. I was omniscient long before God regenerated me. I remember when I first became a Christian and began attending a church. Becoming a believer was the best thing to ever happen to me, obviously. It was radical, and it was satisfying. I've never been able to get enough of God and His Word then or now. God was transforming my life back then. I wanted others to know what He was doing in my life. I wanted them to have what I had. And it was during that time, I remember I was sitting in uh, out in the parking lot of the church building, the church property, where I attended church in North Carolina at that time. I was sitting in a truck with my pastor, is his truck, and I asked him, I said, why can't everyone be like the Apostle Paul? I was a new Christian, I hadn't been a Christian, but less than a year, I imagine, maybe, maybe a little more of a year at that time, but I wanted to know, why weren't the people as passionate about God? Now, the more insidious implication of the question was, why are they not more like me? Have you ever had a thought like that? Has something so affected you that you began to look at others as inferior because they don't have your knowledge or your zeal or your understanding or your gifting? The accidental Pharisee would not see the more insidious question comparing other people to themselves because it was too, it's too faint of a sound in their conscience. I most certainly did not discern the few degrees that took me off track. 
I was sincere. I honestly did not know why folks were not more passionate about their faith. I genuinely wondered why they did not appear to have a zeal for Christ. It was a sincere concern from an immature believer. I could not see how my dangerous ignorance could tempt me to sin into thinking uncharitably toward other people. I didn't understand depravity's depth, depravity's power, or how a sincere inquiry left unchecked could simmer into a self-righteous attitude toward others. I was victimizing myself by my self-righteous thoughts about myself. Subtle boasting is proudly drawing attention to yourself by claiming credit for something to enhance your status or your reputation. This dastardly attitude happens by not giving the appropriate credit to God for His work in your life. For example, the better way to frame the conversation with my pastor would have been to thank God for his work in my life, praise him that he saved me and gave me a passion for himself. I could have further explored how I needed to grow in my understanding and practice of God in my life and how I should relate to others rather than judging them in the way that I did, as ignorant and innocent, sincere and genuine as I I was. Believe it or not, I was a one-year-old convert. Believe it or not, I had not arrived From a position of biblical clarity, I could have asked how best to serve our local church rather than criticizing our local church. Rather than focusing on their deficiencies, it would have been better to focus or to boast on God's present grace and future opportunities for me to mature while helping others similarly. Have you ever been tempted to critique or judge another person? or another group, another organization, another church, because they think differently from you. I'm becoming convicted now as I'm doing this podcast. I need to stop. How do you usually respond to those who do not do things according to your preferences? Do you tend to focus on what you are getting right and what others may be getting wrong? How do you tend to judge others who live out secondary preferences differently than you do? It's easy to become an accidental Pharisee when you know you're right. And perhaps you are correct in what you believe, in what you practice, but your passion makes you sincerely wrong because of how you think about and talk about others. A conviction for the right things can put you in a relational ditch quicker than most anything else that will come out of your mouth. I have been right on many things in my life. It's scary. It's sad. It's also humbling to look back on all my rightness, mostly when my perspective was not exactly as right as I thought it was when I was right. Let me give you a a list of a few things where I knew I was right and, 
and any other perspective was wrong. All of these things are true as as far as what I used to believe and was dogmatic on, say, 30, 30 to 40 years ago. Not an exhaustive list. Here you go. The King James Bible is the only right English Bible. Two, if a woman wears pants, she is sinning. Three, it is a sin to drink alcohol of any quantity. Four, Baptists are the most right denomination. Now, that might not be right any longer. Number five, a Calvinist is a heretic. Number six, no Catholic will ever go to heaven. Number seven, going to a church meeting less than three times a week was compromising the faith. Can you imagine these people that only gather at a church meeting one time a week? How how compromising is that? And then lastly, contemporary music. Here we go. It's a sin. Now, I was right on all of those things, and I believed all of those things. And again, it's not an exhaustive list. Now, let's suppose you used to believe some of these things too. Let's further assume that you don't believe or you don't practice any of those things today. These are your former beliefs, but and they are not your current beliefs. Now, here's the accidental Pharisee question. How do you think about people who still believe and still practice those things? Did I trick you? Did you just jump into the other judgmental ditch to where you continue to look down on those who are different from you? Those who practice the things that you used to practice, but you don't practice them now, so you look down on them? Do you thank God you're not like them? Do you make fun of, mock, or put them down in any way? Do you secretly feel a, a, a bit smug because God has delivered you? Are you tempted not to associate with those people anymore? Do you become impatient or frustrated when you think about them because they have yet to arrive at your maturity level? Now, you have to understand that I live in Greenville, South Carolina. We consider ourselves as the buckle on the Bible belt, and fundamentalism and legalism is rife here. It's the air that you breathe. Everybody is saved here. Bob Jones University is here, and I have... I have spent a career counseling former Bob Jones University uh, students, the alumni, and virtually every one of them have a self-righteous attitude toward Bob Jones. They look down on them, and you hear it in their critiques, and it's just one illustration and those people are still caught up in this the very thing that I'm communicating here. And I want to be careful as I think about them, those who are hung up on Bob Jones University and uncharitably judge them because I hear it all the time. But it's so easy to jump into the other ditch. You can have the same accidental Pharisee attitude, but you're dwelling in a different ditch today. Each time God teaches me something different from which I believed in the past, shortly after my advancement into this new knowledge, 
there is a temptation to look down on those who still practice my former preferences. And when I do that, I am that accidental Pharisee. I'm just not dwelling in the ditch where I used to be. I'm dwelling in the ditch on the other side of the road. I used to be a practicing fundamentalist who believed the things in the list that I gave you above, and there are many more things, as I said. After I left that group, I began to judge them for what they practiced. Imagine that, judging them because I'm at a higher place of knowledge. If you're thinking unkindly about those who continue to do your former habits and beliefs, you're an accidental Pharisee. Do you see how subtle this is? Perhaps you were part of a legalistic culture like I described. Perhaps you think, quote, yes, that's right. I used to think that way too. I'm so glad I'm not like them anymore. I'm thankful that God delivered me from that culture and way of thinking. Whew, I could still be like them. Now, there's a truth in all of that, but the attitude in which some people can convey that It can be quite self-righteous. The question that you and I have to ask ourselves is, do you see how comparative thinking can lead you into a trap? Do you perceive the tricky nature of comparing yourself to another person? After I became a Christian, I became harsh toward non-Christians. After I gained some Bible knowledge, I judged those who knew less or practiced differently or their Christianity the way that I used to when I was at their level. Do you see what happened here? When I wasn't on the Christian ladder, I didn't judge non-Christians. And then I stepped on the Christian ladder, and then I started judging non-Christians harshly. Now, I do want you to understand, I mean, yes, we should judge in the sense of making accurate assessments about how people are living their lives if they're living an ungodly life. I will say that homosexuality is a sin. I will say that an alcoholic, I mean, that is sinful. I will say that uh, anger, sinful anger, sinful anger is sinful, et cetera, fill in the sin category. Yeah, we're not hiding the ball. We're talking about sin, but it's how you talk about it. And so when I got on the Christian ladder, I had a harsh and uncharitable attitude toward those who were not Christians, the very people that I used to be. And then when I took a step up from fundamentalism, then I began to look down on fundamentalism. So now I can look down on the fundamentalists and I can also look down on the non-Christians. And then whatever the step is, is higher than where I am today. When I take that step, I can look down on three demographics. Do you see the problem with this? When Paul thought about these things, he said it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. He said, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, They are without understanding. When you disagree with someone, do you believe your perspective is the best? Are you thinking you could be wrong at that moment, that God may have another view that you're not seeing? 
For example, sinful anger is the most common type of boasting or comparing in our culture today. Yeah, I want to use the synonym of sinful anger and boasting and comparing. I'm using those three words synonymously because sinful anger in the context of this article is a form of boasting, meaning I'm right, you're wrong. It is a form of comparing, meaning I'm right and you're wrong and I'm delivering this message to you in a sinfully angry way. Whenever you become sinfully angry with another person, you are boasting that your way is superior. And you may be right, but you're carrying your message on a hatchet. You're so determined to promote your way over the other person's point that you sin in anger while doing it. What is missing in such a comparative boast is God's perspective on the matter. Now, let's say that your spouse does not meet your expectations. Let's say that your spouse sins or disappoints you again. What is the best way to counter what your spouse did? In a word, the answer is redemptive. You want to be redemptive. Do you remember when you were wrong, when you were wayward, when you were rebelling, when you were disinterested in God? How did the Father respond to you? It was redemptive. God is always about redeeming people. It's not so much, at least not initially, about, I am right and you are wrong. It's about helping a person transform. Now, again, at some point, you do have to deal with the sin, but I'm talking about the attitude. I'm talking about self-righteousness. A self-righteous way of dealing with sin is not the way. It's not redemptive. Winning your points while boasting in your perspective or rightness by responding in sinful anger towards someone is not redemptive. That kind of greater-than attitude will motivate It will not motivate a person to change. God set aside his rightness and took on the form of a servant. Proving he was right was not the most important thing at the time. It was about redemption. If you are right and your spouse is wrong, The best approach would be to seek to build the relationship redemptively. If you create with your spouse redemptively rather than competitively, you may serve your spouse to the point of maturing your spouse in their understanding. I am making the assumption that you were right and your spouse needed your tweaking Of course, you may learn you were not as right as you thought you were. The key is for you and for me to be more interested in redemption than winning an argument. And so what about it? What are you more interested in regarding your relationships? Do you want a redemptive relationship? Or are you more about being right, about winning, or about competing? It took me 25 years to become a Christian. Knowing how long it took me to become a Christian is a key to my fight against self-righteousness. How long did it take you to become a Christian? How long did it take you to learn anything? It took you years to become a Christian, even if you became a Christian as a child. 
but other things. Those of you who are great baseball players or great pianists or great communicators or great writers or great bicyclists, great machinists, how long did it take you to learn anything? Did you reach omniscience by the time you were one, two, three years old? I was a late bloomer. I attained omniscience at 19. Now, some of you were omniscient long before me, but again, it just took me a while to to know everything. By the way, once you hit the peak of omniscience, life is downhill from there. And we become ignoranter and ignoranter all along the way, and it's a blessed experience. (laughs) Omniscience is hard, by the way. It's easy to place unreasonable expectations on others, even though it may have been a 20-year process for you to learn that something You could succumb to the temptation of putting an expectation on others to learn and apply a similar thing in six months or less. Once we finally learn something, we tend to forget how challenging it was to finally arrive, and then we unwittingly try to engineer others to rise to our level of understanding. Parents do this all the time with their children. Me too. I'm a parent. I think about where I was when I was 15, in a word, jail. Most of the dysfunctional teens of today are light years ahead of where I was. Some parents forget this basic concept of time and experience. It takes time and experience to get to where you are today. A 15-year-old punk kid like I was has neither time nor experience, and sometimes we just need to remember. It has taken me many years to learn whatever it is that I know now, and what I know today, guess what? It's going to to evolve in the future, and most vitally, it was God's grace that brought me to this place. Self-made, human-to-human comparisons are a sure path to arrogance, self-righteousness, and broken relationships. It's even more dangerous when you are right, assuming God's word affirms that you are right. Paul refused to compare himself to others, no matter how right he was. He would only boast in the Lord. If you possess anything worth celebrating, it's because of God's kindness to you. Paul said it this way in Corinthians 4, 7, For who sees anything different in you? For what do you have that you did not receive? And then, uh, if then you received it, why do you boast? As if you did not receive it. It is right, it is good to brag on Jesus for what he has done for you and through you. This attitude is the essence of worship. Biblical boasting comes from your experience with God And your boasting reveals the maturity of your experience with God. If your experience is not about God alone, you will boast, keyword worship, you will boast in things rooted in something other than Him. The result will leave people with a more significant opinion of you than God. Jeremiah said it this way. You've heard these verses before, I'm sure. 
chapter 9, 23 and 24, he said, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The title of this podcast is Comparing Yourself May Make You an Accidental Pharisee. There are ditches on both sides of the road, and it seems like I'm jumping from one to the other. Uh, the, the road in the context of this podcast is quite narrow. And if you want to talk about what I just shared with you, we would love to talk to you about it. We have a free community forum on our website where you can ask any question that you wish. People have been doing that today. They'll do it tomorrow as well. And maybe if it's about this subject or perhaps you have something else that's on your mind, let us serve you. It would be our joy to do that. I would love to hear your response to what you have just heard. I would love to hear how God is working in your heart, and maybe you're one of those ditch jumpers where you jump from one to the other. As I keep climbing the rung on the Christian ladder by the grace of God, I want to keep these thoughts in my mind because I know it's so easy to boast even in the most subtle ways. And when people appreciate you or appreciate the grace of God in your life, it is a call to humility and quiet reflection as you, you take those things to the Lord and ask Him to search me, Lord. You also want to have a community of friends, people who are not so impressed with you that they will speak the truth in love, both truth and love. And when you have those kinds of friends, you are really rich. Please share this podcast with others. And if you don't mind, uh, we do need your support. Uh, we have we have someone that we are wanting to hire to help us because we're having a a difficult time. It is a good problem keeping up, but it is a we're having a dickens of a time keeping up with the demand of this ministry. And I do remember the days when we weren't that busy and we were looking for things to do, but those days have long gone, and we need help. But in order to do that, we need folks who are able. And I know that everybody can't, but those who can, and you're able to help. If you could support us, I would appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for the joy to serve.